Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank here from Sniper's Hide. A lot of new doings going on. I want to drop some stuff for you guys to realize. I signed up and started uploading videos to full 30 uh, yesterday. They created a Sniper's Hide ch uh, channel for their video website. It's, it's what guys are using as a YouTube replacement. Eventually, YouTube's going to be cracking down. There's been notices sent to us that... Gun content is going to be limited, is going to be censored, whatever the case you want to call it. I do have videos and stuff on Sniper's Hide. I have my own video platform, but I'm also going to be putting my stuff on Full 30 um, just to put it out there. And I started uploading videos yesterday and today, so I'm adding my library over to Full 30. I just have to convert my videos because... They use an MP4 format and I use a .movie format so I have to convert everything. So it's taken me a little bit in to go through instead of just uploading them. But I want to thank Nick and those guys over there for reaching out to me and doing the full, uh, the full 30 uh, deal. That's good. Um, we're also, so you guys know, I did create an Everyday Sniper website, everydaysniper.com. Um, I, I had an uh, I had a different website. I had snipershide.tv that was kind of just sitting in the corner for years. And, you know, when I wasn't quite sure what was going on with the scout thing, I kind of kept that going. And so um, I had snipershide.tv. Then when I ran into this drama with my website, with the, the web page and the developer, and I had all this issue with them, I went over to the .tv site and I started working on it, um, you know, the way I used to do website, my stuff. And I liked what I did. So I said, well, wait a minute. And I called Mike up and I said, I'm going to turn this into the Everyday Sniper website. And with this template and everything that I have that I was, I was looking to compare work that I did versus work this, this web developer did. And I liked mine better. And it was pennies on the dollar. It was like 1% the cost of what they tried to charge me. So that aggravated me to no end. So I'm I'm building the website for the Everyday Sniper. I'll be able to embed the podcast. We'll put some images and stuff. So there will be the, it's not the, <coughs> excuse me, Ooh, coffee or something went down the wrong way. It It's everydaysniper.com. Uh, and it's up and running. There's just nothing there. It's really just me playing around with the template and learning it. Um, but it is going to go active. It will do a lot of different things. You'll be able to link uh, stuff we talk about. It'll link the Sniper Side Forum. It'll link the Podbean app and stuff like that, as well as Mile High in the training detachment. So if something we talk about... Uh, I'll be able to put that information on uh, everydaysniper.com and you can access it that way because people have asked, hey, how do we get access to that? We are posting some of the stuff in the Sniperside forum under the Everyday Sniper section, but at the same time, I'm going to make it so you can find it in more than one place. There'll be resources. There'll be some behind-the-scenes pics and videos and things like that, but the site is getting built and is up and running. So um, that combined with Full 30, uh, me out, uh, I put the new Tika video up. I'm getting a lot of great responses on the Tika video uh, for guys asking about the bird. 
The end of the Tika video is the bird uh, shot. I did the image on Facebook. So if you're interested, go look at the Tika video on YouTube. Go to the end if you want. Um, it's the last 30 seconds or whatever. And I even did a slow motion. I did the uh, you know real-time speed, and then I did a slow motion variant of it for you guys to look at. Everybody was asking me, how to do the um, or how to see the the video because I I posted a screenshot of this bird that landed on the sucker rod at 800 yards. But um, guys had asking I got I'm going to the Podbean. Thank you, everybody, for posting questions and comments. Like I said, the posts help. Believe it or not, reviews on iTunes helps, and the post helps. That's how other people know whether or not to come on board. Right, and it also adds to the algorithm and things like that, as I mentioned yesterday. But uh, one of the guys uh, looks like Matt or something, asking me, "How do you put a gain twist barrel into your ballistic calculator?" And he's uh, he's right, and he he kind of questions, but yes, your ending twist. So uh, it's like a seven seven ending twist. At, so it would be. Left hand seven seven in your ballistic calculator for a twist rate, okay, um, and that's how you do it. So the the beginning twist doesn't really matter. What you're looking at, and there and there's a lot of misinformation about gain twist because it goes back to the old time, and it also goes back to some of these really aggressive gain twists. People think the gain twist means there's like an extra set of grooves in there, and it's not. You're basically just taking it and pulling the twist rate out, acting as if it's kind of longer. So it starts very gradual with the eight, eight and a half twist, and then it can it, it kind of gets pulled a little bit tighter. But it doesn't cause excessive engraving. It doesn't skid. Uh, and, you know, there is talk of skidding and things where if you have a fast twist rate and you're pushing a bullet hard, and when it gets into the beginning of your barrel where the lands start, because you got that throat section and then you kind of get this gradual cut in there and then the lands go to their true depth and they begin. And then there's a school of thought that you would skid there and kind of smear the bullet a little bit, causing that def- def- uh, deformation, right? So it's not, it's not going to keep the bullet in pristine order. The idea behind the gain twist is it's gradual so you don't smear or skid the bullet and it increasingly speeds up instead of asking it to start off really fast. Um, it, it almost be like kind of dumping the clutch in a vehicle and slipping the tire, slipping wheel weights, doing something where the rim turns but the tire can't keep up because it has friction from the road but the rim inside has less friction. So what's happening is if you're twisting it hard and fast, there's friction from the from the barrel, but now the lead inside might miss that friction or something in it again, it's a deformation deal. So the gain twist supposedly solves this. Well then going to left hand is mainly for right-handed shooters, the the school of thought was positional when they were doing this and when it became very popular it was with the like the offhand silhouette shooters okay 
where they're shooting those small animal silhouettes from standing in different positions where Pope, who was creating these barrels and cutting them by hand and doing all this, felt that you stayed on target better, you you didn't compromise your position because the rifle wanted to stay in the center line of your body and not pull away. So recoil was in a straighter line when you were standing and shooting silhouette. And, you know, there's some other factors in there. Like I said, the Coriolis and the different things. But that was the idea behind a game twist. It came out of competition in the uh, turn of the century. It was positional composition uh, competitions. And that they felt this was better for a right-handed shooter. We only went to right-hand twist barrels when we started kind of mass-producing and machining them because screws turned in that direction, so the barrel machines and the, the drill bits turned in that direction. And so to go the other way would have to make a custom tool, which, like, you know, when I went to Bartland Barrels and I talked to them early, early on, they did left-hand twist and stuff like that. It's a different tool. So it's one of these things when you talk to Tracy, he's like, yeah, I can do it, but I have to make a tool for it where, you know, if you wanted to be like a barrel maker or something and get into it, you could buy like a button press barrel. And then when you're going to buy the buttons to cut, they're all going to be twisting one direction. You would have to customize it to twist the other way. And that's kind of what it went into. And so thanks for that question on the gain twist. Yes, you put your ending twist and then for me, I have to put left hand versus right. So that's the other thing. Um, there was another question from uh, Red. I'm not quite sure. So the extra 50 on an AI isn't worth it, but 50 feet from it is. Well, yeah, because it's time. So he's asking, why is an Ackley improved not worth the effort? And going from a 260 or going from a 65 Creed to a 260 is. Because, well, because it's not. Here's the thing with a 260. You're doing the same amount of work to get the same, to get a higher speed. So I can go get a box of 260 and it's going to be faster. If I reload my 260 exactly like I reload my 6.5 Creedmoor, I'm faster out of the gate. I don't have to go through extra steps of fire forming of making sure, hey man, if you got the time and you got the energy and you want to actually improve your stuff, go to town. But it's a two-step process because you're going to fire form the brass with basically your standard 260, 6.5 Creedmoor. And then you're going to take that and reload it. So you're going to have kind of like a fire forming load and then your your finished load. And the other thing, you know, there's a lot of school of thought. We're, we're talking about reloading. My Terry Cross did my 260 Ackley in about 2007. Okay. I didn't like the, and, and the guns was great. I mean, it shot one hole. It was a hammer. He had a 142. It was all worked up. When I got the rifle from Terry Cross, I really didn't have to do anything but fire form. And then reload to the spec he gave me. And, and so there was that, okay? I still didn't like it. I didn't like the process. I didn't like that I couldn't just go and grab ammo off the shelf, all right? That was my thing of why I don't think it's worth it. Is the 50 feet per second worth it? Yes, it can be. 
it, it can be very much so worth it. And if you're, if you have a competition rifle, if you're not switching and doing stuff, it, it's, it may not be a bad thing to reload Ackley. Now, I'm kind of coming from the school of thought where there, there, there's a discussion going on right now with reloading that you don't have to waste your time neck sizing in that way, just full length it. A lot more people are kind of going to this full length uh, and, and, and you're done, one and done. Why go? Why do this? And I've always full length, even, and, and for me, and I mentioned this before, I've always full length because I don't know if that's going to be the only rifle I'm going to shoot it out of. That was my initial thinking, okay? I got into reloading. I have a rock chucker and a T7 press, and, and, and I do my stuff. And I'm like I said, I'm a Redding die guy. I really love Redding competition dies. I have Forrester Ultras and things like that. And I've actually retired the Foresters because now with the solids, I find that die bends my tips on like the Warner Tool solids I was reloading. So going to the Reddings, I didn't have to modify them. I was able to seat my Warner Tool and it didn't deform the tips at all. And there's actually some images. Dan Warner saw it. And it was it was just like my first set of just testing it out. And he's like, dude, take a look at your tips. They don't look great on the 180s especially. This was especially with the 180, the really long suckers that you don't do like in 308 at mag length. Well, that Forrester die was, was touching the tips. So then he said... Send them to me. We'll we'll take the centers out and we'll make it so it won't happen. I said, well, hang on. Let me check my Redding dies. And I went to my Redding competition dies and they worked great. So then I went and did all that work with the Warner tools. I shot the uh, 180s, 160s, and the 121s. So I full length my brass, okay? They're, 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 uh, I clean them out. I, 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 I do, I chamfer and I, and I do all that. I make sure that necks are all good. I don't neck size, you know, I just full length and then I'll seat them down. I'll use the competition seaters and really I kind of, I kind of full length and do everything on the T7 and then I seat on the rock chucker. So I have them both set up slightly different, even though I could just take the T7 and I have in the past and just rotate the, the, the turret on top. So I can go full length, rotate the turret seat. Full length turret seat. But I don't. And how I do it is I have my regular powder drop. And, and, I, and I'll go through my process. So I'm, I'm, I'm cleaning up my brass. I'm tumbling it and I'm getting it off. Almost because everything. Now I have Peterson here. I'm going to be loading these new uh, solids that I have. But uh, I go and I take and I and I tumble my brass and I clean it all up because it's 99% of the time it's once fired. I, I, I full length it, take care of it, make sure, and I may clean it again, you know, to get the, the, the powders and the stuff off. But I don't like to tumble it after I've done it, but I will clean them out a bit. And so I take care and I do all that and make sure it's good. I clean out my primer pockets and I make sure that's good. I make sure the flash hole is good and, and everything there. And and mainly I'm playing the primer pocket because I do shoot stuff a little hot and I will like ruin primer pockets. So I'm t- always looking at what I'm doing there and making sure if, if the primer pocket even feels a little bit loose, I'm tossing it. 
because the, I have other brass that I'm using and I don't have to worry about, you know, that one lost piece of brass. I, I, I get it that guys chase that brass so hard, but I'm switching between like with 260, we'll give an example. I have Remington brass here. I have the Norma from Prime here. I have Lapua from the hand loads here. And, and now I have Peterson here. You know, so I have all this variety of brass. If one gets a little wango, I toss it. And and so I'll go through that process, clean it, full length it, clean it again, wipe it down, make sure I don't have any because I'll get lube and stuff on it. I'll make sure I'm all good there. And I set it all up and sort it out. I I, I put in my um my primers and then I drop my powder. And I drop powder slow and by hand. I'm I'm going, so if I need, we'll say 43 grains of H4350, what I'll do is I'll drop 42 grains or somewhere in there because, my, you know, I'm just using the redding powder drop and I'll do that. What? Is, okay, this is weird. So I don't know if you guys can hear it, but there's like this alarm going off. And the last time I was in Colorado, there was some kind of alarm like this going off. It was a tornado warning. So hang on a second. I want to go look. I don't know what that was. Maybe they're testing it for, we're supposed to get some weird weather this weekend. They're <laughs> coming from Connecticut. I never dealt with like what a, what's a tornado. So we had this wicked storm like the first year I moved here and um, thunder, lightning, all craziness. And then this alarm starts going off and I'm like, I'm pressed against the bay window. Like what the heck is that? And I'm watching everything and come to find out like a mile up the road behind me, a tornado came through. I know we, we never had tornadoes in Connecticut, had no clue. So anyway, so I do my powder drop a little slow. So I drop it to like 42 and then I fine tune it to my 43. And, and you know, if it's 42.2, 42.4 from my initial drop, then I just trickle in and then I go through and after I get all my powder put in and I'll seat. So I don't get kind of like anal retentive and almost all my reloads that I do, I try to do mag length. You know, I'm pushing for a speed most of the time. So I'll test... Um, you know, the, the load initially to make sure I'm getting in this speed node that I want. Uh, like a good example is the 185 load that I do. I take a 185 burger juggernaut and I'm doing it at 28, uh, 2.830. And with 46 grains of 2000 MR, I get just right at 2,700 feet per second, uh, with my 20 inch AX. Now, max load for that 2000 MR, because it's a fine dust powder, is like 48 grains. But 46, now I'm thinking, in, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, that 45 for Varget and stuff like that. So when I went to 46 and I hit on this speed, I said, well, right there is a good node, it's a good speed, and it's an easy load. So I can then go and just drop 46 grains in, in you know, any of the 308 brass that I'm using, because I'm not really pushing it that hard, where you'll find somebody will say, well, I'm using Lapua brass versus a Winchester, and they can get a little different load because of wall thicknesses and case capacity when they're doing like that 45 grain of Varget versus 43 for a 308. Well, going to this fine dust powder and the fact that its max load is more in the 48 and I'm at 46, well, I've accomplished my goal of speed. I mean, 2,700 feet per second out of a 20-inch barrel 
with a 185 and a 308 is great. I mean, I'm getting phenomenal numbers with that. So that right there solves that problem. Now I just have to make sure my accuracy is good. And going, you know, hovering around that uh, 2.830, 2.010, I'm not loading longer, 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 longer all the time. You know, I'm not trying to constantly touch the lands. And one of the reasons I don't do that is number one for mags. I want them to be mag length. But the other thing that I'm doing is I've seen this a lot with guys with 260. And we're talking about the 260 versus the 6.5 uh, Creedmoor. Back when everybody was doing 260s and there was no Creedmoor, guys would load them super long. And this is where people had to pull the front tab out of like the AICS magazines because they didn't have the room to load them long. Well, I'd always see guys like they'd come down to rifles only, a sniper's hide cup, the shooter's bash, what the case may be. They'd be at a stage and they'd go, okay, I'm going to shoot this stage. And they fire one, they fire two. Well, they're getting ready to fire their fifth shot and they run out of time time so now they got to pull the round out well when they loaded 260s long it would be touching the lands and they'd pull the bullet out and the powder would dump they got to get a rod and they got to pump punch it out it would create all this drama so i never wanted to go in that direction with my reloads i always kept them at mag length i've always kept them shorter and off the lands and i honestly never had a problem accuracy wise with it and for me, I'll generally, like I said, if I can reach my speed level, three-eighths or better accuracy is kind of where I stop. I don't chase it after that. If it drops to a quarter and I'm putting them in one hole, hey, good on me. If it's just that three-eighths and one's peeking out a little bit or they're they're not one round hole, but they're an oblong hole, hey, I'm still fine with it. I'm not a bench rest shooter. I'm looking for that speed and efficiency. I'm looking for, uh, you know, the 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 ease of being able to stuff in my mags and not get them fouled up because I'm loading long. And, and I honestly have not seen the need to push and kiss to the lands. You know, I know some bullets and burgers, like the 185 Juggernaut is really the, the only burger that I shoot. With any consistency, I'm more of a Lapua Sinar guy, and I find they're really forgiving as far as seating depth and things like that. That's why I use that 136 load. And I did get a question. Somebody is saying to me that they read online that the 136 doesn't work at distance. I've never seen that. I don't get where uh, people were asking. Like, they're asking me. I, I mean, yeah, I shot that a six inch group yesterday. At a 11.25 with the 136s. I mean, I've not seen any issues at distance. And I know that bullet's been working really well. When we tracked it at Doppler, we we tracked it to 2,000. Uh, 2,200 actually. So I'm not quite sure what the drama over the 136 is. I think it's people probably just not liking the price and the thing. The, the, the cost because they can't get expensive. But I don't know. I don't know what that issue is. I... I, I have great success with them. Uh, so, and I get that little bit of extra speed out of them as well. But getting back to the 6.5 Creedmoor versus 260, the Creedmoor solved that seating depth 
issue because that that case is just slightly shorter, right? So you can reload it and 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 seat them out a little bit, but still have magazine length. The process is the same, and that's the point of Ackley versus not Ackley. I mean, honestly, I get guys like the wildcatting and stuff, but I travel. I do a lot of things. I want to be able to go somewhere and grab ammo off a shelf. And and if I know I'm like, if I'm going to go to Alaska with those guys, well, I'm not going to bring a 260 up there with me. I'm going to bring a 6.5 Creedmoor because I know it's easier to find 6.5 Creedmoor at 3 Bear than it is 260. Yeah, Hornaday makes some 260, Prime makes it, and I can now get some in different places. But that was the biggest thing is, you know, where you were getting the ammo and where I can go. You know, in a pinch, Remington used to have 260 hunting ammo on the shelf. Now, it wasn't match, but it would work. And, And so that's the reason why... As a tactical shooter, I'm not wildcatting and Ackley improving stuff, and I got rid of my Ackleys. Um, you know, I I, I get it that people want to increase speed that way. I'd rather find a different powder. And, you know, when you look at the work that I did with the Warner Tools, look at the variation in powder that I tried. Look at the speed numbers in powder. Um... I'd have to go and, and pull them up, and I don't have it on, on the computer right up in front of me. But if you go look at the Warner Tool 121 stuff that I did, I kind of go through my process in finding the load that I used with those 121s, what powder I chose, where the speed nodes were. And honestly, like right out of the gate, my first try, accuracy was three quarter to half minute. So then what I did is I said, okay, I had one that was a little bit slower, but better accuracy, but I was still where I wanted to be. Then all I had to do was fine tune it a little bit and I'm up and running in short order. When I do load development for me, I'm not chasing it. I'm not obsessing over it. So I'm just doing sort of like, okay, where's my powder charges? Can I be in, in now understand with solids, solids, you want to push hot. So right off the bat, I know I'm going to be loading it hot for a solid, but then I'm going to just play with that seating depth ever so slightly and, and give myself and say, okay, here's five rounds here, five rounds here and see where the groups are and then go from there. So it's not this constant back and forth and tweaking so it's up to you man i i honestly don't don't see it because i can if i'm gonna hand load six five creed more i can i can get some of the speed back the thing is is that you can even with that if you're hand loading both six five creed and 260 rem and you're doing everything identical you're still gonna have a little more speed out of the 260 and to me, that is kind of where that is. And I'm not worried about mag length and things like that because I know my hand loads already work. Damn, distractions abound, man. Everybody's hitting me up today. So anyway, that's kind of where my process is. If you go look at any of the Warner Tool articles on Sniper's Hide, the videos and stuff, I'll talk about my process. But again, it's I'm cleaning up that brass. I'm full length sizing it. 
I'm I'm checking my primer pockets and flash holes and stuff. I'm, I'm chamfering and shaping and and cleaning up the necks, making sure I'm good. Uh, again, I'm not too worried about length right now because I'm not reloading this stuff. I can I can dig into my five gallon buckets of six five, two sixty, three oh eight, whatever the case may be, and pull out you know once fired stuff that doesn't need to be trimmed up and everything. But you know I can do the trimming when I need to, and then I'm full lengthing it. Loading my primers in, dropping my powder, and my powder again is getting dropped on uh, by hand a, a lot. I'm I'm not I'm not reloading big numbers. Like if I reload a hundred rounds worth in a single seating, that's quite a bit. So then once I get that load, I kind of pass it off to like a McCourt, and he does the rest of it in bulk. And you know, and if he's not quite sure if he has something, and that's where you saw the crayons with me. When when there's certain loads like we we had a uh, my 300 Norma, I had a load for my 300 Norma, and so we changed some things up. We changed some because I wanted more speed out of it. My original load was at 20 what was it 2860 or 2960 I think it was. My uh, uh, I'd have to look it up, but I think it was 2960. With the new load and everything out of the same rifle, we're now at 2997. So he's like, hey, you know, because so many people wanted to look at the Norma, he modified how he he loaded for it. And so what he said to me was, hey, I've been using these loads for other people. He color codes them and he, and he gets them in the ballpark based on the information from my previous load. And then the information from other people's load, we created the crayons, Right. So now all I have to do is go through and check the crayons. And when I had a number in a, in a lot that worked well, it was like the pink one was the right one. So the, I, it was, you know, less than a half minute accuracy at 100. Speed was 29.97. Done deal. Loaded in bulk. Let's go. You know, but initially I had done the load development when we had that 29.60 load. And it's really just him kind of saying we changed something. Let's try it like this. And so, but for me, my process is simple and, and I, I'll then mess with that, that seating depth to fine tune the accuracy. Once I determined a powder drop and then from there I'm going, but I don't have fancy tools. Uh, I'm not, I, you know, I'm not doing anything crazy. I do have the, the two presses set up so I can, you know, Go through in full length in an assembly line and then go over and do my primers, powder drop. I'm powder dropping over at my rock chucker and then lining everything up there. And then from there, I'm just seeding and seeding and seeding and I'm, I'm good, you know. So it, 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 I wouldn't get wrapped around the axle with reloads. And that was the other thing that, that shaped my reloading. So coming up. I learned to reload on Sniper's Hide. I didn't, before I, I you know, I, I think I, I didn't buy my reloading equipment. My first rock chucker, I don't believe I got until about 2002. All right. So, I mean, I had all this history of shooting back to the 80s out of high school in the Marine Corps. It was about 2002 is when I first started reloading. So when Sniper's Hide was coming up, and everybody in, in the reloading was getting talked about so much. I would read these guys that were just anal retentive. And 
I couldn't abide by it, man. It's like, I don't see why, you know, in, in these guys. Now, at the same time I learned to reload, I then go and get um, connected with rifles only. And we start doing the competitions down there. I start going to those competitions. We start having the Sniper's Hide Cup. Then we do the Shooter's Bash. So now there's all these competitions that I'm looking at firsthand. And then we're going back on the Sniper's Hide and we're talking about it. And it was amazing how many of the biggest, you know, the biggest talkers on the Hide, the guys that showed groups every week, from 100 yards and reloading and reloading and reloading. They're doing all this stuff and they're like, you know, quarter minute, one hole. I mean, they're looking at bench rest quality groups. Won't come out and shoot because they don't have the reloads and they're not finished with load development. That drove me nuts. How you're going through all this, you're fine-tuning your processes, you're doing everything under the sun to shave errors from these loads but you can't go out and shoot a competition or with other people because you don't have the numbers and you're not done i would just be like dude here's the deal man i i'm i'm knocking it out i'm getting it done and i'm going out and shooting I'm not wasting my time with this whole load development thing. I'm not going to sit here and and play with every little thing and 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 you know, I'm not weighing my cases. I'm not sorting and separating. We're that's not our game. It does it help? Yes, it does. It, it there's there's but what is your time worth? All right? To me, my time is worth getting it done as quickly as possible three-eighths of an inch or better accuracy in a speed that I want to accomplish because speed directly correlates to my BC and to my end results. It, 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 you know, I, I've never seen in any of my reloads anything anomalous like crazy even me doing these shortcuts and doing things the way that I'm doing you know I don't have cons 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 uh, I don't have the gauges that are testing I can't say concentricity can can I can't say it oh well my brain doesn't want to say it today uh, I'm not checking run out which you should I mean but I'm using decent equipment I'm using that single stage press I'm going through how how out of whack am I really going to be? Now, if I was going to become a bench rest guy, then my whole process might change. But at the same time, because I'm a tactical shooter, I'm shooting steel, which is forgiving to begin with. I'm shooting at distances. I'm looking, I mean, uh, you know, one of the, here's the thing. And, and this was illuminating. When we did the bullet test at, Gunsight. Gunsight put paper out for us at 500 meter, 1000 meter, and 1500 meter. And one of the things Corey Trap wanted us to look at was our vertical spread at 1500 meters with our load. We had all kinds of hand loads because we were doing the bullet test. Well, I still had Hornaday 285 box loads, factory. I, I did have 
a Predator solid hand loads, but I also had Hornaday I was shooting, right? Well, when I tested the Hornaday out of my AI, my vertical spread at 1,500 meters, and it was funny. We All we did, we, we held as best we could. I just held the line. I didn't, I doped the wind on my scope. I didn't adjust for the wind. I doped it once, got on target, held center, fired five rounds down at 1,500 meters. My vertical spread was six inches from factory Hornaday 285. I'm not going to load better than that. And that's kind of what you're looking for, right? I mean, my vertical spread was one of the smallest. And I even remember goofing with one of the guys because there were some guys there and they were hide members. Cause it was almost everybody at this gun site thing were all hide members. And, you know, we were razzing each other and teasing everybody. And, you know, the... the I had gotten a better spread on the factory ammo versus one of the guys that had the same exact 285 but hand loads. And it was like, what did you do to get those? What did you do? What did you, how much time would you have to pull? I made a phone call. Ha <laughs> ha. You know, that kind of stuff. And don't get me wrong, there, there's so many benefits to reloading. It's just not what I'm doing unless I'm doing something specific. And, and that was, again, an eye-opening thing for me. There, there's the, that point of diminishing returns. There's that time versus effort. There's the, the what are you going to do? There's the startup costs and the whole thing. To me, a rock chucker with some redding dies and, and, you know, a decent scale it is really all you need for what this. I mean, a lot of these, the Copper Creeks and the different guys, a lot of them reload on Dylan's. They're cranking them out. When Southwest Ammo was up and running in full speed before they imploded, they're Dillons. You know, not everybody has the reloading, like the, the machine like David Tubb has, that's sorting and separating and doing all that stuff. He's shooting a half-minute X-ring, okay? So he's shaving his errors, and he's getting a quarter-minute result because he wants to be inside a half-minute X-ring, we don't have to worry about that. So I can save time and energy by either good, I mean, in factory ammo is so good right now, or I can just reload in specific circumstances. I need to reload to a specific purpose. And that's what I'm doing when it comes to my personal reloading philosophy. I'm going to go through it. I'm going to take these solids and, and I'm going to talk through when I load these solids up, I'm going to tell you everything that I'm doing when I'm determining what my load and my seating and we'll have a record of it and you'll be able to follow it. But again, man, it's such a simple process. You know, I can even go through in full length, drop them in the, and I've done this, full length them, drop them in the uh, cleaner, uh, you know, clean the brass, take them out again, full length them to make sure they're not all dinged up from being in the in the tumbler. And, you know, make sure everything's clean. And then primer, powder, seat, done. Primer, powder, seat, done. And that's it, man. And I'm just, you know, it, it, it's pretty consistent when, when, I, when I do it with, with the, the setup the way I have. So guys were asking it, you know, as far as that. And I know people are want to hear more of what Adam's talking about. Um, 
in in you know i i'm i don't even think adam's really getting you know retentive with it i didn't hear everything that he was saying but it's it's just it's not something I I'm investing all my time in. I, I've got too many other things that, that I'm worrying about between the podcast, video editing, and, and all that stuff. So um there you go. There's Frank's deal on what he's doing to reload. I hope that makes sense. I was a bit rambling, sorry. Between alarms going off, my phone's blowing up, my emails are happening. Um I'm I'm slightly distracted today. But hopefully that that made sense to you of what I'm doing in terms of how I look at reloading. And, you know, I, I again, I'm not setting up. I, I It's funny because there's people with like the, the neck sizing. I see people kind of struggling with bushing sizes. Where do I go with tension? And where am I with here? You know, yeah, would I go a little more tension if maybe I was reloading for a gas gun? Possibly. That's definitely one of those places that I would look at my neck tension because of the movement with a gas gun. But with a bolt gun, I don't really see where that variation is going to come from if my full length is solving it. I haven't found an issue with my bolt gun where I have to really sweat my neck tension to that degree you know because it's not getting moved around or bumped and and so i don't know why why chase that bushing size why chase all that and see well is this one better because it will have a it will have an effect all this has effects don't get me wrong there's cause and effect to everything if you do this then this will happen you know it's it's if and then if you do it then that happens cause effect so every extra step you put in has a cause and effect so by me reducing the steps especially in in like i said in this bolt gun i don't see the negatives i don't see me chasing it i don't kind of it would be a case of full length chasing powder charge chasing seating depth and then chasing neck tension. Instead, you know, it, it, it's like I can eliminate a step. I can just go full length, powder drop to where I get it, so where I'm, I'm got a speed, and then seating depth for an accuracy, and I'm done. Instead of, okay, I got a powder drop. I then played around with seating depth with messed with powder a little bit, but now I'm going neck tension with messed with my seating depth accuracy, which also messed with my powder. So now I'm kind of tweaking all three steps instead of tweaking one or two, you know? So I, that's just kind of how I look at it. I don't, I, I, I'm, I know some people from a, a philosophical standpoint, they find reloading relaxing. Yep, I get that. If I had a different reloading room or situation, a setup, I might too, but I don't. I kind of find my time to be a little bit more valuable. It still acts like part of my job. And so I don't see it as something to go off into my room, put some music on, and reload and and zen into it. You know, to me, it's like, shoot, I got to go do this. I got to get it done. I need X amount. I need to go and think about tomorrow's video and what am I going to do when I do this? What's it, what my results are going to be? Where am I going to go when I get back? 
So to me, it becomes a case mindset-wise of extra work. And so the fact that I can, you know, just call Prime up and order ammo like I did this week. You know, I waited till Jim got back from NRA and it's like, hey, man, I need X cases of 260. I need X cases of this. I need cases of that. And now I'll have four cases of Prime show up. Well, I don't have to now worry about what I need to do. I can now focus on what that video is going to look like, what my next lesson is going to be and all these other things. So I'm probably not the best guy but that's my mindset, you know, and honestly, my results are good. I, I don't, I don't really sweat them with my factory ammo. I mean, I get a lot of, a lot of emails and questions and private messages across all the platforms from YouTube all the way to Sniper's Hide. How do you get the results you get with uh, factory ammo when everyone online tells me I have to reload? to do that. Well, it may help because factory ammo may not work great in every single rifle system combination out there, but because I focus on the fundamentals, because I'm using good equipment, you know, Bartland barrels, good rifles, things like that. I mean, you're not, and and I had great results even with the Tikas. Factory Tikas were shooting great. I, I just didn't have muzzle velocity. So I'm trying to solve my muzzle velocity, but accuracy was fantastic. I was half minute with the factory Tika with factory prime. They just went too slow. So that made me swap the barrel out. To me, that was an easier prospect than chasing a load. I mean, there's my mindset right there. I could have, I could have tried to reload to get that extra hundred feet. But odds are I probably wouldn't been able to push that far. I mean, we got guys that are responding to the Tika video that I put up yesterday who are confirming my observations. I love my Tika, but I do notice my muzzle velocity is slow. Guys are hand loading like a 140, 143 grain bullet and only getting 2780 out of the Tika barrel. Well... I swapped the barrel and got 115 feet per second more. Well, then they're, well, they're hand load wise. I'm 75 feet or 50, 50. What is it? Uh, 25, 20. I'm 50 feet per second faster with factory than their hand load. Okay. By switching the barrel. So it was a, $300 investment in 10 days down for the gunsmith to spin it up versus how many hours chasing a load. You know what I mean? And and that's where my mindset is. I know Bartland's going to be a faster barrel. I know it's going to be a better barrel. I can spec my twist and go left-hand gain twist and do all the things I spoke about beneficial-wise with the barrel and then just default back to my loads. My What I have on the shelf now is what I need to do downrange. I don't have to reinvent the wheel. I can. It'll work. But shoot. I mean, when I grabbed that McCourt load out of my car, I had a few boxes of that McCourt 136 load. I shot the Prime, 
The Prime did everything I wanted it to do. I got the speed. I got the accuracy back in that Tika. Okay. Well, then I had that 136 load from Andrew in the car. I pulled it out. I loaded up 10 rounds just to see. Boom. Muzzle velocity up. Accuracy equivalent. Zero in the same place as the Prime. And drops at distance were great. Right where I need to be in line with everybody else. And at 1,100 yards, I shot a six-inch group. Done. I changed the barrel. You know, I didn't try to wrap me around it. I, I moved into a direction I know works. So that's why I'm not an anal retentive reloader. And that's why I'm, you know, not... I do it. I don't talk about it a lot because I'm just, if if you guys saw me do it, I'm in and out quick. And once I get where, uh, you know, halfway near where I need to be, I'm, I'm, I'm going to print with it. And then once it's done, if I'm going to keep it, I pass it off in bulk to the next guy. So that's why. And it's time, money, effort, and all that. But take, my Tika results. Look at that. Think about this. 2710 versus 2875. Not 75, 25. So 2710 versus 2825 from the same box of ammo. A little bit better accuracy. And by a little bit, I'm talking about a quarter of an inch increase in accuracy. In a good speed increase. I'm done. I pick up the phone. I order Prime. And I can shoot and do the videos and do my testing and do everything I want. And I have a baseline. Right? So, I hope that guy... In, I, I'm not using this episode of the podcast. Like I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down and load these, uh, these bullets here. And I'm going to talk you through when I do it. Probably this weekend because it's going to rain. So I'm going to go and talk about it. This is more Frank's mindset into the reloading because guys are asking about more in the reloading thing. I, honestly, and, and I think I mentioned this before, if you're still with me uh, after some of this rambling, and I get it, I'm rambling, I'm getting beat up with distractions here, but I go into the Sniper's Hide reloading section I look for the, the the load I'm looking for, and whether it's 260, 65 Creedmoor, whatever the case may be, there's a huge library, pages and pages and pages, where people are putting their load data into the Sniper's Hide forum. We call it the Reloading Depot because you can go to this section and find starting loads. Well, what I do, I go through... I look at the most common where, where everybody's falling. I'm I'm looking for patterns. You've heard that before, right? I'm looking for patterns in other people's loads. And then I'm kind of split in the middle to get me started. And I'm using the resource of Sniper's Hide and what and the work other people have done to get me in a better place quicker. I'll look at seating depths, I'll look at uh load charge weights and then I'm just full lengthing and going based off of that. 
So again, I'm usually in that 2.830, 2.820, you know, not too far into the mag, but I'm running right around there. And it's funny just to put a fine point on it and then I'll be done is that when Dan Warner put stuff out with Warner tools, because of the way my chambers are set up and doing the Sammy spec match chambers, but not trying not to go bullet specific with the reamers that these guys use. I landed in the sweet spot completely unknowing with the Warner tools. When you look at the information Warner puts out and where I fell with my loads, I fell right into a sweet spot. Dumb luck. But it worked. And my accuracy was great. I mean, no bullshit, guys. And and you could take this for what it's worth. When I was doping the Warner tool at a mile, I had nothing. I was basically just going up like, you know, experience-wise, a mil, a mil, a mil, a mil and a half, and so on when I got farther out. So I just, every hundred yards would add a mil and then, you know, believe the bullet, fine-tune, and see where I splashed. But at a mile, it's hard because I'm by myself. I shot a group. I drove up to my mile target. I looked in the ground around the target. I figured out I was over it. I came down a half mil laid down, shot another five-shot group, fully intending to drive up and look again and correct. But when I drove up, I had four out of five hits on the plate. I'm done. Boom. Call it luck, call it this, whatever the case you want to be. But when I, it's an 18-inch wide plate, 24 for the body and all that. And when I get four out of five at a mile with a 6.5 Creedmoor, I'm done. I don't need to fine-tune that load anymore. So that's my mindset. You're listening to Frank from Sniper's Hide, and this has been the Everyday Sniper Podcast. Hope it helped you guys. I mean, it's just mindset stuff. Mike's over at Mile High. They got reloading stuff, powders, primers, things like that. If you need anything reloading-wise, 303-255-9999. He's there. He can answer it. Brass, a lot of Lapua stuff, uh, bullets, brass, primer powder, all that stuff's there. All right, guys, thanks for listening. It's been awesome.